about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. salt of the earth but if the salt loses its saltiness how can it be made salty again it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot you are the light of the world a town built on a hill cannot be hidden neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl instead they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I'm quite sure where this goes. Well, a really warm good morning to you. Uh, there are new people here today, so it is so good to have you with us. Um, uh, you're really welcome. It's a great day to visit church, even though it's a bit weird because it's our kind of all combined service. But we hope you have a wonderful morning. Um, hello, everybody. If you don't know me, my name's Andrew Errington. I'm the senior minister here. Uh, and it's just, it's just been a joy to hear those stories about what God's doing in our life as a church, uh, to think about scripture, to pray. Thank you, Justine. Uh, thank you for the... the it, wasn't, it wasn't great to sing together. Thank you to our music team. Uh, it's good to be together. I'm going to pray again, and then we'll, we'll think about that scripture we just heard. Father, take and use these words of Jesus, your Son, our Lord and Saviour, for good in the life of this church and in our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. I should say hello to those online as well. Um, online has been a real blessing. It's been other things as well, but it's been a blessing, and I feel that acutely today. My wife and one of my children are online because we're in he was in hospital last night, and it's okay, but uh, it's great that Lauren can be there in that way. So others online, we hope you're doing okay, and thank you for joining in with us in this way. Okay, well, friends, what is, what is the spiritual challenge facing us as a church today? Over the past couple of months, I've suggested that the answer might have something to do with the temptation to kind of bunker down. Bunker down. What do I mean by that? I mean the temptation to retreat into a defensive position where we create and protect a safe space for ourselves as a church. We retreat into our bunker, safe, cosy, and a bit away from the world. I'm not saying we're doing exactly that. Actually, I think what we've heard already in this service shows that we're not, and we're, we're trying not to, but I do think this is a danger, a temptation. Why might bunkering down be a temptation? For at least three reasons, I think. The first reason is the cultural moment we're at. Christianity is in retreat. In Australia and some other parts of the world, that is. Christianity is anything but in retreat around the world. The church is thriving and growing in Africa and Asia and elsewhere. At the recent Sydney Synod, we heard about an extraordinary revival that has taken place in rural Madagascar. Really amazing. But in Australia, Christianity seems to be in retreat. 
The recent census saw those identifying as Christians slipping more and more into a minority at schools, universities, in workplaces. Christians sometimes feel themselves increasingly marginal. Along with this, there is a real sense that Christianity is on the defensive culturally. Prominent people now sometimes ridicule Christian ideas that even a generation ago were seen as simply traditional and and basically reasonable. Kids and teenagers uh, feel this at school and among friends. It's common, I hear, at universities to hear the view that Christianity is fundamentally harmful and damaging. Last week I said, uh, if you were here, that I mentioned that to some extent the church has actually probably brought this on itself through its own mistakes and neglect. And so my purpose in saying these things is not to stoke a sense of outrage and aggressiveness, but to observe that culturally this is part of where we are. In our own area, we feel this acutely, don't we? We have one of the highest proportions of people identifying as no religion in Australia. And the sense of suspicion and anger at the church is is sometimes visceral. If you've lived around here for a while, I'm sure you're aware of it. And all of this can easily tempt us to want to bunker down, to wall off our own space in which it is safe to be a Christian and to retreat into it. That's the first reason. The second reason I think this is a temptation has to do with the pandemic. If you don't know what this is, this is my puppet Aldo who played a role during the morning service in the pandemic there. He's looking sad about lockdown. You see, bunkering down is exactly what we all had to do, isn't it? We had to retreat into our homes to protect ourselves from the danger that lay outside in public. We tried to make our homes refuges. Not all of us did it in the same way, of course. Some brave folk kept on working out there in the radioactive zone. The rest of us were conscious of them and grateful for them. Does it seem like a long time ago now? It doesn't seem that long ago to me. And I think we should not underestimate the effect this had on us and on us as a church. Because it was long enough, you see, to build new habits and to break old ones. In particular, I think it it broke some of our habits of extending welcome. As we've just heard, some of them are intact and we're rebuilding them, but some, I think, suffered. Because, you see, we, we made ourselves think of other people as risky. We put up literal and symbolic barriers, face masks, hand sanitizer. We put literal distance between ourselves and others. Now, don't get me wrong, I think a lot of this was really sensible. I'm grateful for precautions taken and the effects they had. But I think we also need to be honest about the other effects they had on us and our our habits. It It is hard sometimes to be open and welcoming to others. And these things made it harder. And when church was just online, we got out of the habit of looking to welcome new folk almost completely. Because we often had no idea who was there, who was listening. Our capacity to extend friendship was disabled. The thing is, though, sometimes we, not all of us, there are some 
hyperactive extroverts here, it's not me, who didn't enjoy it ever. But some of us enjoyed being able to join church without all the effort and without the risks and inconveniences of extending welcome to others. It's sometimes nice to sit in your lounge room in your pyjamas and consume church without being required to talk to people. The habits we learned in the pandemic are another reason... Oh, I've had the wrong one up. The habits we learned in the pandemic are another reason we face a temptation to bunker down, I think. We learned how to do it, you see, and it wasn't all bad. The third reason I think bunkering down is a temptation that we face at the moment is our physical infrastructure. This is a very us-church-specific thing, I think. Our buildings and grounds do not automatically help us turn outwards in openness to the world. Instead, in a range of ways, they can make this difficult. Let me give you a few examples. To come to church at St. Stephen's in this building, <coughs> you've, all, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> you've all managed it. <coughs> Sorry. You've all managed it, but to do it, you have to find the entrance to the cemetery, which has a fairly serious wall all around it, often with broken glass at the top. Uh, it's, this is tricky, finding the entrance, because the gates are not well signposted. There is an old sign, but it is obscured by the fig tree. You then have to traverse a moderately treacherous driveway, which is terrible for disabled access, uh, and, and you think, are you allowed to park here? I'm not sure. And then you have to find the entrance. Where is the entrance? The church would be more obvious, except some time ago they built a large house in front of it. For a lot of the year, when people come in the evening, the gates and the driveway are in near pitch darkness. Thank you, Ben. Um, as the light is busted, and it's been busted for about a year. <clears throat> um, getting into the Erskineville Church building, if you know it, is an equally formidable challenge. What building, you ask? <laughs> a sound question. Here's what the property looks like from the street. <laughs> Our church offices are located at the very back of the hall, out of sight of the street, behind a hurricane fence, a small wetland, and a locked door. <laughs> Our current signage, it is fair to say, does not exactly pop with life. I love our buildings. Well, actually, I love some of them. I love this building. I actually love the Erskineville Church when you find it. I really do. But sometimes they remind me of a line from The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where Arthur Dent is told that the plans for the demolition of his house were on display, and he says, yes, they were on display. They were on display at the bottom of a locked filing cabinet stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the Leopard. So I say that for these reasons, we face a temptation to bunker down, to seek to make our church or just to let it slide into being primarily a safe haven for Christians, a hidden, strong place and community in the midst of a dark and dangerous world. Do you feel this temptation? Do you feel it? And let's ask the question, actually, would it, is it? Is it such a bad thing? It's important we ask this question because, after all, church is meant to be a kind of safe haven for Christians, isn't it? 
Church is meant to be a family, a community of mutual love and support, giving each other strength to face the tasks we, we, we do have to face day to day. Isn't there a sense in which we need to bunker down together in such troubled times? I wonder if you feel the appeal of that image of the bunker. Well, we see most clearly why bunkering down must always be a danger, a misstep for the Christian church. We see it in Jesus' famous words at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Let me read them again. They're they're printed in your outline, but I'll read them. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus uses two images to describe the place his people are meant to have in the world, salt and light. You are like salt, Jesus says, and what he means, I think, is that they are meant to be noticed. Salt has many uses, but when you put it on food, the main point is to make things tastier, to make things interesting and pleasant to eat. You would not put salt on your food if it was tasteless. You're not adding it for the nutritional value, or maybe the iodine now, but honestly, you put salt on because it tastes good. Just like salt doesn't make sense if it isn't salty, so Jesus says that his people don't make sense if they're invisible and impossible to notice. The other image he uses is the image of light. Jesus uses a couple of metaphors here, and they too are about how it doesn't make sense for his people to be invisible. A town built on a hill, Jesus says, cannot be hidden. That's just true, isn't it? It's kind of obvious. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. That would be crazy. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Jesus' point is that in the same way, it simply would not make sense for his people not to be seen, not to shine Because that is the nature of their existence. That's what they are. Like it is what a light is. And so he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now let's draw out the logic of that last comment. I'll put it up again. That last comment a little bit further. Notice firstly that what Jesus calls his people to do is simply to let their light shine. He doesn't call them to be light or to become light. He doesn't call them to turn on the light. Actually, the assumption is that they are light. And so what they need to do is to let that light shine, not put things in the way, not hide it under a basket or a bowl. Notice also the interesting place that Jesus gives to doing good deeds. On the one hand, it it would be a mistake to reduce Jesus' call here simply to a call to do good. Right? Jesus' call to his people is not just that they do good, but that they let their light shine. The good deeds that he talks about, they are what will be seen when the light shines. 
when they let their light shine. So the central challenge here, it seems to me, is to make sure that we are not invisible, not hidden, not kept to ourselves. On the other hand, though, what Jesus says here doesn't make sense without the assumption that his people will be devoted to doing good. That's the kind of people they're going to be. Jesus is simply confident that if his people let their light shine, there will be good deeds to be seen. I think it's important that we don't reduce these good deeds to just one thing or another, one vision of what these good deeds must be. Jesus doesn't do that. These good deeds, I think, will include the whole way of life he calls his people to in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, a life of generosity and forgiveness and genuine faith and piety. But there will be other things also. If you were here with us, when Matt preached our series on work, I was really struck by the emphasis in Titus on doing good. If you have the chance, take a moment to read the end of Titus 2 and 3 again. Paul keeps saying, you guys are going to be the people who are just on about doing good. So the key point is simply that Jesus is profoundly confident that his people are and will be full of goodness for the world. And so they must not hide it. They must let their light shine because that's what light does. They really are light and salt, full of life and blessing for the world. And so the only thing that makes sense is for them to let that be seen and tasted Okay, we could probably say a lot more about this, but there's lots of things to do today. Um, For now, though, if that's the basic shape of what Jesus says here, where does it leave us? Well, I think that today it leaves us with a question, which is something like, what do we do with this confidence Jesus has that his people really are, really will be salt and light? In our day and age, what, what do we do with that? What do we do with this confidence Jesus has that what people will see if his followers let their light shine is good deeds? Because isn't that kind of the problem that we talked about last week? Right? That the church hasn't always been full of good deeds. In fact, didn't we even talk about last week, if you were here, if not, I'm going to tell you, so it doesn't matter if you weren't. We talked about how we're not required to have confidence just in the church, right? And yet here is Jesus apparently full of confidence in the church, in his people. What do we do with that? Can we still take seriously this confidence in the church that Jesus had, that he has? Well, it will help us to ask, where does this confidence come from? Why does Jesus believe that his people really are light? Even the light of the world, he says. Asking the question that way will help us find the way to the answer. Because it reminds us there there is a connection between what Jesus says here and what he says elsewhere about himself. You are the light of the world, he says here, but elsewhere, and in a way this is more found... Fundamental, he says, I am the light of the world. Listen to his words in John's Gospel. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is where the confidence we see Jesus show in our passage comes from. It comes from his clarity, his conviction that in him light was shining in the darkness. In Jesus, salvation and new life were running into the world like water into the dry deadness of fallen, broken humankind. Jesus knew that just as he spoke life into being at the beginning, so the living God was breathing new life into the world through him. And that's why he tells his followers, and it's why he tells us, that we are the light of the world. Not because he has any illusions about us, Not because he thinks we are going to pull everything together and get everything right. No, but because he knew that he was the light that outshone every darkness and that would shine through his followers despite their weaknesses, their failures and their follies. In the end, Jesus' confidence here, just to speak theologically for a moment, is a confidence simply in the Holy Spirit. It's a confidence that God really is the Holy Spirit who takes the new life that has come through Jesus and joins people to it, breathes it out into the world. The Holy Spirit is the connection between Jesus' statements, I am the light of the world and you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world, says Jesus, because I am the light of the world and you're with me by the Holy Spirit. You are the light of the world, friends. You, with all your doubts and fears, with all your failures, with all the ways you feel uncomfortable about church and unsure of yourself, with all your weaknesses and the things that you don't feel good at, you are the light. Because Jesus is a light brighter than every darkness. And when you're with him, he will shine. He changes us. He grows us. He helps us do good. Don't despair of that. We're always a work in progress, of course, always imperfect, always still underway, but when people are with him, his light does shine despite our failures and mistakes. So, brothers and sisters, let your light shine. Let your light shine and let us let our light shine. We are called here to accept To accept Jesus' confidence in us and to trust in it. To trust his confidence that his light will shine in us. That there will be good deeds to be seen when people see us. That because of the Holy Spirit, we really are a lamp, the purpose of which is to be set on a stand. Let your light shine. Okay, how? How do we do that? How do we do that as individuals and together in a way that question leads us to the uh, last part of 
today's service. We'll get to that in a bit. But for now, let's just hear this exhortation for ourselves and for, for, for one another. How can each of us, how can each of us let the light shine? Where are the points? Where are the points at which this is a challenge to have the courage to show Christ to others? It's a challenging thing at our cultural moment to be honest and open about our faith. It is. But it is the only thing that makes sense. Because you don't light a lamp to put it under a bowl. You don't light a lamp to put it under a bowl. At your workplace, among your extended family, among your friends, don't put the light under a bowl. It doesn't mean you have to be a brilliant evangelist. I'm not. You heard the, what Barry said about Mark's gospel. Shambles. <laughs> you know, you don't have to be that great at all this stuff. You don't, you don't have to have the answer to everything or to take responsibility for every dumb thing the church does. But Jesus does call us to let others know, to let others see that we're on about him. That we're with him. And we can have confidence to do so, real confidence, because he was confident. Do you feel his confidence here? And he is confident because he knows that he is the light of the world and he has chosen to show his light through you. As a church, this is part of the direction. This is the main direction I want us to head. I'll say more about this in a moment. But you'll be pleased to hear, I hope, that one of the ways we're beginning is literally with the lighting. Jenna Weston and Ryan Southwell cleverly got a grant to refresh the lighting around the church. Of course, it's hard to roll it out because it's hard to get the bulbs and stuff. We're still going with that, aren't we, Ryan? Yeah, we are. God willing, it will improve both safety and visibility. In the coming months, I hope we'll be able to give the signs and the web presence a bit of a facelift. But now we're getting into the weeds. Let's not finish with the weeds. Let's finish with Jesus' call. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Next time you light a lamp in your house, just think about not the fact, just think about the fact that you are not going to put a bowl on top of it. Brothers and sisters, when we put our trust in Jesus, the lamp was lit. It was. Let's let it shine before others with confidence, gentleness, and joy. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.